Hi, I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And I'm Father Gregory Pine. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our prayer lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Spiritual reading can be challenging for many Catholics, so this podcast is here to help. Each season, we'll read through a great work, unpack its timeless wisdom, and encourage you with practical tips for the pursuit of holiness. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we're reading Ascension's edition of Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales. To get your copy of the book and download the reading plan for this season, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text intro to 33777. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast app. This is day 10. Today we'll be reading part two, Instructions for Elevating the Soul to God Through Prayer and the Sacraments, chapters 13 and 14, pages 141 through 149 in the Ascension edition of the book. Before we get into the reading, though, let's take a quick look at what we'll be covering today. One of the greatest things about St. Francis's instructions on prayer is that he recognizes the reality that we're all busy. Uh, the devout life, as we've as we've already talked about, isn't reserved just for the spiritual elites, the, the priests, the religious monks, nuns, those, those types of people, but is on offer for all of us, for all of us Christians. And because the offer is for all Christians, the devout life, our life of prayer in particular, that's what we're talking about, looks different according to our states in life, whether we are a priest or religious, whether we're married, single, old, young, busy, less busy, whomever we might be. So in today's chapter, St. Francis reminds us that even in our busyness, we can and really should frequently take moments with the Lord. Just as Christ went to pray alone by himself with the Father, we can and should all take all of us take small moments throughout the day to do the same. So let's listen to how St. Francis describes that for us, and then we'll, we'll come back to chat about it. But let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us grace, O merciful God, to desire ardently all that is pleasing to thee, to examine it prudently, to acknowledge it truthfully, and to accomplish it perfectly, for the praise and glory of thy name. Amen. Chapter 13. Acts of Aspiration, Brief and Frequent Prayers, and Holy Thoughts. We retire into God because we aspire to be with him, and we aspire to be with him so that we may retire into him. Thus, our aspiring to God and our spiritual retiring into him mutually support each other and both proceed from and are begotten of good thoughts. Therefore, frequently aspire to God, O Philothea, by casting brief but ardent arrows from your heart. Admire his beauty, invoke his aid, cast yourself in spirit at the foot of the cross, adore his goodness, address him frequently about your salvation, give your soul to him a thousand times a day, fix your inner eye upon his sweetness, stretch out your hand like a little child to his father so that he may lead you, place him in your bosom like a fragrant bouquet, place him in your soul like a banner, and by a thousand different movements of your heart, and kindle your love for God and excite within yourself passionate and tender affection for your divine spouse. Thus we offer brief and frequent prayers, which the great St. Augustine so strongly recommended to the devout lady Proba. For the Thea, in this way our spirit gives itself over to habitual, private, and familiar relations with its God thereby being altogether perfumed with his perfections. This exercise is not difficult, for it may be intermixed with our business and occupations without at all hindering them. Far from being a hindrance, in spiritual retreat or in such brief and frequent interior prayer, 
we only experience little and short diversions, which in fact assist us in the pursuit of what we were then doing. When the pilgrim takes a little wine to cheer his heart and wet his mouth, he stops for only a moment, but does not interrupt his journey in this way. Rather, after taking this drink, he acquires the strength needed to finish it with more ease and speed, stopping only so that he might press on all the more quickly. Many have gathered together a great treasure of vocal words of aspiration, and they are no doubt very useful. However, if you were to follow my counsel, you will not confine yourself to any set form of words, but instead will pronounce whether with your heart or mouth whatever words are suggested to you by love at a given moment, for it will furnish you with as many words as you could ever want. Granted, yes, there are certain words which have a peculiar power for satisfying the heart in this respect, for example, the aspirations interspersed so copiously throughout the Psalms of David, the various invocations of the name of Jesus, the brief arrows of love flung forth in the Song of Solomon. Spiritual songs are also of use here when they are sung with attention. In short, those who love with a human and natural affection have their thoughts always turned toward the object of their love their heart filled with affection for it, and their mouth filled with its praises. And when absent, they lose no opportunity to testify their affection by means of letters. And they even meet not a single tree upon whose bark they fail to engrave the name of their beloved. So too, they who love God can never cease to think of him, sigh for him, aspire to him, and speak to him. Indeed, were it possible, they would engrave the sacred name of Jesus upon the breasts of all mankind. All things invite them to this, for there is no creature that does not declare to them the praises of their beloved. And as St. Augustine, repeating St. Anthony, says, All things in the world address them in an intelligible, though silent language, proclaiming to us the very object of our love. All things excite them to good thoughts, which give birth to many flights and aspirations of the soul of God. Consider several examples. St. Gregory, Bishop of Nazianzus, as he himself told his people, was walking one day upon the seashore. He took note of how the waves lapping upon the beach left behind shells and small conches, bunches of seaweed, small oysters, and other such things, which the sea had cast up from its depths or, so to speak, spit out upon the shore. Then, returning with more waves, the sea reclaimed some of them, swallowing them up once more, while the rocks on the shore remained firm and unmoved, even though the billowing waves crashed upon them violently. Considering this, he reflected most sagely. Weak souls, like the shells and bits of seaweed, allow themselves to be carried away, sometimes by affliction and at other times by consolation, forever remaining at the mercy of the churning waves of fortune. Courageous souls, however, continue on firmly and unmoved in the midst of all sorts of storms. Then he recalled the words of David, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my soul. Deliver me, O Lord, out of the deep waters. I have come into deep waters, and the flood sweeps over me. All of this he reflected upon because at that time he was afflicted by the unfortunate events aroused by Maximus concerning Gregory's Episcopal status. St. Fulgentius, Bishop of Ruspe, while present at a general assembly of the Roman nobility who were being admonished by Theodoric, king of the Goths, beheld the splendor of this host of great lords and exclaimed, O God, how glorious and beautiful must the heavenly Jerusalem be! For here below the earthly Rome has such great pomp. For if this world hails the lovers of vanity with such great splendor, how great must be the glory in the next world for those who will behold the truth! St. Anselm, Archbishop of Canterbury, by whose birth our own mountains here have received great honors, was said to have such excellent thoughts as well. 
While this holy bishop was on the road, a hare, pressed by hounds, ran under his horse, seeking refuge there from the imminent danger of death. The hounds, barking all around him, did not attempt to violate their prey's sanctuary. The sight was indeed extraordinary, making the whole company laugh, whereas the saint wept and sighed, exclaiming, Alas, you laugh, but the poor beast does not laugh. The enemies of the soul, after hunting and driving her to and fro through all sorts of sin, lie in wait for her at the narrow passage of death, looking to grasp and devour her. And the soul in terror looks everywhere for aid and refuge, and when she does not find it, her enemies then mock and laugh at her. Then the saint rode on, sighing. Constantine the Great wrote with great respect to St. Anthony, at which the religious around him were greatly astonished. Why, said he, do you marvel that a king should write to a man? Marvel, rather, that the eternal God wrote his law to mortal men, nay, indeed, has spoken to them face to face in the person of his Son. St. Francis, seeing a sheep alone amid a flock of goats, said to his companion, Behold the poor little sheep, how meek it is among the goats. So too was our blessed Lord meek and humble among the Pharisees. At another time, seeing a little lamb devoured by a hog, he said weeping, O oh, little lamb, how vivid an image you are of my Savior's death. That great man of our own age, St. Francis Borgia, while he was still the Duke of Gandia, while out hawking, fashioned for himself a thousand devout thoughts. As he himself said later on, I admired how the falcons come to one's hand, allow themselves to be covered with a hood, and be tied to the perch whereas men so intractably resist the voice of God. The great St. Basil said that the rose amid its thorns calls out to men, O mortals, hear! That which is most delightful in this world is mingled with sorrow. Nothing here below is pure. Regret is always attached to mirth, widowhood to marriage, care to fruitlessness, ignominy to glory, expense to honor, loathing to delight, and sickness to health. And this holy man continued, The rose is a fair flower, yet it causes me great sorrow, reminding me of sin, for which earth has been condemned to bring forth thorns. A devout soul standing by a stream on a night with clear skies, seeing the starry heights of heaven reflected in the water, exclaimed, O oh my God, these very stars which I now behold will one day be beneath my feet when you give me lodging in your heavenly tabernacles. And just as these stars are here reflected in the waters, so too are we, your creatures, reflected in the living waters of divine charity. Another holy soul, seeing a river swiftly flowing by, cried out, My soul will never be at rest until it is swallowed up in the sea of the Godhead, which is its source. St. Francis, contemplating a pleasant brook where she was kneeling in prayer, was wrapped into an ecstasy and softly repeated over and over these words, So too does the grace of my God flow gently and sweetly like this little stream. Another blessed soul, looking on the trees and blooms, sighed and said, Ah, why am I alone without blossom in the garden of the church? And yet another, seeing little chicks under the wings of a hen, said, Preserve us, O Lord, continually under the shadow of thy wings. Another still, looking at a sunflower, exclaimed, When shall the time come, O my God, that my soul shall similarly follow the attractions of your goodness? And seeing some pansies, fair to the eye, but having no smell, Ah, he said, such are my thoughts, fine conceptions, fair to the eye, but useless and unproductive. See, O Philothea, how we can draw good thoughts and holy aspirations from all various things that we experience amid this mortal life. 
How unhappy thus are those who turn away creatures from their creator, transforming them into instruments of sin. However, how happy thrice over are they who turn creatures to the glory of their creator and make use of their emptiness to the honor of the truth. In the words of St. Gregory Nazianzus, let us say, my practice is to draw spiritual profit from all things. And read the devout epitaph composed by St. Jerome for St. Paula, for it is charming to see how it is filled throughout with the aspirations and holy thoughts that she used to draw from all sorts of occurrences. Now, the great work of devotion consists in these exercises of spiritual retreat and brief, quick prayers. They can make up for what is lacking in all other kinds of prayer, but failure in them can scarcely be repaired by any other means. Without them, one hardly can lead a contemplative life, and will only stumble along in the active life. Without them, repose is only idleness and labor vexation. Therefore, I beseech you to embrace them with all your heart, and never to set them aside. Chapter 14. On the Most Holy Mass and How We Should Partake in It. But up to this point, I have said nothing about the sun of spiritual exercises, the most holy, sacred, and majestic sacrament and sacrifice of the Mass, the center of the Christian religion, the heart of devotion, the soul of piety, the ineffable mystery which embraces within itself the abyss of divine love, by which God, truly giving himself to us, communicates abundantly his graces and favors. Prayer, O Philothea, united with this divine sacrifice has an unspeakable power, With these united, the souls abound in heavenly favors, as if they were to lean upon its beloved, who so fills it with spiritual fragrances and delights that it resembles a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, with all the fragrant powders of the merchant, as it is said in the Song of Solomon. Therefore strive as much as possible to partake in the Holy Mass every day, so that you may offer with the priest the holy sacrifice for yourself and the whole church. St. John Chrysostom says that hosts of angels always are present honoring this mystery which draws our adoration, and we, present alongside this great heavenly host, united with their intention, cannot but receive many beneficial influences from this blessed communion of saints. The choirs of the church triumphant, along with those of the church militant, unite themselves with our Lord in this divine act, so that through him, with him, and in him, they may ravish the heart of God the Father and make all his mercy our own. How great the happiness of the soul that can devoutly contribute her affections in attaining so precious and desirable a treasure. If, for some reason, you cannot be physically present to assist in the celebration of this sovereign sacrifice, you should at least place your heart there, going to church at the usual hour in spirit, if you cannot be there otherwise. Unite your intention with that of all the faithful, and there in secret perform the same interior acts of devotion that you would were you actually present at the Mass in some church, representing the latter to your imagination. Now, to participate in Holy Communion in a proper manner, either physically or mentally, it is fitting, one, from the beginning until the priest goes up to the altar, to prepare yourself as he prepares himself, placing yourself in the presence of God, acknowledging your unworthiness, and begging pardon for your sins. Two, from the time he goes up to the altar until the gospel is read, consider the advent of our Lord and his life in this world, doing so in all simplicity and in general. Three, From the gospel until the end of the creed, consider our Savior's preaching and declare your desire to live and die in the faith and obedience to his holy word and in the communion of the Holy Catholic Church. 4. From the creed to the Our Father, devote your heart to the mysteries of the death and passion of our Redeemer, 
truly and essentially made present in this holy sacrifice, which with the priest and the rest of the people you must offer to God the Father for his honor and for your salvation. 5. From the Our Father to the Communion, strive to excite a thousand desires in your heart, ardently wishing to be forever united to our Savior by eternal bonds of love. 6. From the Communion to the end of the Mass, give thanks to His Divine Majesty for His Incarnation, Life, Passion, Death, and for the love He gives testimony to in this Holy Sacrifice, beseeching Him through it to be forever merciful to your relatives, friends, and the whole Church. And finally, humbling yourself with your whole heart, devoutly receive God's blessing, which our Lord gives you through His Minister, the Priest. However, if during the communion you should choose to meditate on a series of mysteries that you are taking in order from day to day, you do not need to turn aside to make all these particular acts. It is enough that at the beginning you direct your attention and adoration, offering up this holy sacrifice through the exercise of your meditation and prayer. Since the above-mentioned acts are contained throughout, either expressly or tacitly, and equivalently in every meditation. In this section, St. Francis returns to the idea of the devout life being something accessible to everybody, not just this or that person. It's a theme that really sets the tone of the book, um, and it's one that he comes back to now as we're talking about meditation. And, and as we think about it, prayer, quiet, time alone is a luxury for a lot of, for, for most people, really. It's something that can be difficult to find in the busyness of our lives. But we shouldn't let that mean that we ought not pray or seek those times with our Lord. Rather, I think we need to manage our expectations regarding those things. When what I mean by that is that you know a, a, a mother of small children or of any children probably doesn't have the same time and freedom to spend in sitting in a chapel as does like a, a cloistered nun. But nonetheless, both are called to the devout life. So, Father Gregory, your thoughts, reflections, musings whatever we might describe them as, on, on this idea of sort of managing well our expectations regarding prayer, what does prayer look like for, you know, particularly our, our lay listeners, how do we kind of continue on in, in forming a life of devotion, meditation, the rest? I think that a good place to start is to grapple with lies and half-truths that we get in the habit of telling ourselves Right, so I think um, for a lot of people who find it difficult to pray throughout the course of the day, there is genuine difficulty, but then there is also our complicity with that difficulty. So like some people kind of tell themselves, all right, I'm not a morning person, so uh, I'm, I'm just not gonna be fresh in the morning, so I should do it in the afternoon. And then when the afternoon rolls around, it's like, oh, I'm super busy. Or people tell themselves, yeah, I mean, there's a church three minutes away and I could go and I could pray in the church and I would be more focused and I would be more present, you know, to the Lord and to this time of prayer, but, you know, it's six minutes to and from and, you know, blah, blah, the preparation and then all that goes into that, I'd end up losing 10 minutes of prayer. So it's probably better just to do it at home, even though I know I'm probably going to get distracted and pray for less time. Um, so I think that we have to grapple with these, these lies and these half truths because when it comes to aspirational prayer, it's great, but it's not a replacement for mental prayer, meditation, cultivating the habits of mind and heart, which help us to have a profound sense of God and the interior dispositions to welcome that presence of God. So it's good insofar as it's an overflowing of the life of prayer, but it's never going to be enough if it's just 
all that there is to our life of prayer. So think about it as a kind of checking back in or a making reference to um, or an extending of the act of prayer. I think that's, yeah, that's a good way in which to maybe frame the question or start the conversation. Yeah, I like what you say about, especially about like going somewhere to pray, you know, if there's a church nearby, that sort of thing to have, to sort of in, make prayer sacred, if that makes sense, you know, that that it's a time set apart. Um, and if you can't go elsewhere, then if you have room at your home to sort of have a place where you go to pray on the regular and you keep your sort of prayer stuff there and, and your spiritual readings, to have a place that even, yeah, that is set aside because um, it's helpful to to do that even like physically. You know, we can try to be in like a mental headspace where, okay, I'm setting this time aside, but we're not just we're not just minds, you know, we're bodies too. So that helps, that encourages us. Um, and and I, I'm i a big proponent. I don't know what you think about this, Father Gregory, but I usually put my prayer, like my, you know, on my calendar. I, I try to do it always in the morning. As you said, it's just easier that way. But um, if, if I know like my morning is taken up by travel or those like, or it's something, you know, out of the ordinary where my schedule is different, I schedule it. I'll put it, I'll block out the time. That way the day doesn't go by and I'm kind of like, oh, I need to pray. Oh, I need to pray. And it's like, you know, midnight and it's like, oh, yikes, that didn't happen. Um, and St. Francis talks a bit about this too, right? Like morning and evening prayer, um, setting up these these times in the day that are set for prayer, time for silent prayer. You know, so I, he talks about this as a sort of uh, another point of, of like taking out moments of the day to say, Little prayers is like a spiritual refreshment, uh, which I think is an interesting thing to be kind of refreshed throughout the day. So I don't know if you have any sort of, you mentioned a few, but any other kind of recommendations, um, tips on kind of like establishing habits, establishing these these sort of, yeah, dispositions to to sort of be continually recollected or, or, or refreshed? Yeah, he has a lot of good recommendations here, and a lot of them reflect his experience as a founder of a religious order, right? So mm. he gives rise to this, you know, like movement of religious sisters, um, and he's thinking about these particular considerations when it concerns his own life, when it concerns the life of the nuns whom he's, you know, set out to inspire, and then when he considered the lives of his flock. So I think religious life here affords us certain insights into how we structure our day. Not that we should all be creeping religious, like, ooh, I wish I could be religious, but instead I'm doing something. No, that's not the point. But that we can draw insights from religious life. And one of those insights is to punctuate the day deliberately and intentionally, such that you're forced to confront the presence of God. And then you grow into the recognition that it it's a sweet confrontation. Um, so morning offering, he recommends morning prayer, assistance at the Holy Mass, um, and then evening prayer, and then an examination of conscience at the end of the day, and then in between these small aspirational prayers. And I think with those, he says, on the one hand, it could just be like little lines from the Psalms, or it could be whatever wells up in your heart at the moment, or it could be returning to the affections and resolutions, which you cultivated in the context of mental prayer earlier in the day or earlier in the week or whatever it was. Maybe you'd listen to a podcast and a certain thought struck you while listening to that podcast. And um, you're just kind of sitting with that. You're, you're reveling in that. That's a thing that you can just return to deliberately throughout the course of the day. And we already have an example of what it means to do something like this. So if you're in the business world, you know that, you know, at least in the United States, you're responsible for answering emails within a few hours. And so we're in the habit of checking our emails. Um, Archbishop Shapu used to check his email. I don't know if he still does, but at the end of every hour. So he was super punctual when it came to that. Is that a good habit? 
hard to say, depending on who you are in your state in life. Um, right. Or, or we also have the experience with, with checking our phone, right? So if you have an iPhone, you have screen time, it tells you how many times you open your phone for how long you looked at it. So we have a sense of our recollection in the device and, and we're seeking to kind of translate some of those insights into our recollection with God, you know, who is our source and our end. So I think that we already, we're thinking about these things, but maybe it's just a matter of channeling them more deliberately into the devout life. Yeah. Transferring them kind of to the energy, the attention to to God, I guess, to doing that, to doing that well. Um, another point here that is, we, we've kind of talked about it on some of these previous episodes on meditation, on, on mental prayer, um, is is the importance of cultivating a devout life, a spiritual life, a contemplative life. And again, not as being like a monk or a nun, but as, as one who is ready to pray when the time of prayer comes. Uh, we can't, I don't think it's an exaggeration or to say that, you know, like, well, I'll say it this way, maybe not an exaggeration, but you know, if we think of things in terms of like eating, like what we put in our body as far as, far as food goes is what we're going to get out as far as like energy and feeling good and and those sort of things. I think so too with, with prayer, you know, what we put in our, in our heads and our minds and our hearts throughout the day is also going to redound to our ability to be recollected and, and meditate. So if like our day is constantly consumed by just music and screens and YouTube and short, like whatever stupid video clips and that and the rest and just constantly bombarded. It's that much harder to sort of transition into the times of spiritual refreshment or into times of meditation. Like we're just not ready for it. You know, we don't have the habits for it. So I think, you know, those, those of you who are listening, those of you who are reading with us, it's worth thinking about like what, you know, if I'm, if I'm serious and interested in the devout life, if I'm serious and interested in pursuing Christ, what is it that I, how do I fill myself? You know, how do I prepare to put myself in the presence of God? How do I do all of these things? And this is why the, the what St. Francis calls what we've been talking about, these spiritual refreshments throughout the day are so important because they inject Christ back into the day. Um, so, uh, you know, consider that it's quite a sort of take like an inventory of what your day looks like. Father Gregory, you mentioned those like the screen time thing. Like that's a great way to see like, oh my God, I think you get, I don't know, my phone is set up that I get them at like the end of the week, like a, a review of my screen time. And I'm, I'm always embarrassed to look at it. It's like, gosh, what a waste, you know, it's like <laughs> all this waste. Um, so yeah, think, think about what it is in your life that, that might, you know, you could weed out a little bit or focus a little bit. So one of the last pieces of advice that St. Francis gives in these chapters is about the content of, of our prayer, about how we pray. You know, he says that like rote prayers or, or written prayers are good. You know, the prayers we might use in vocal prayer. We mentioned the Our Father when we were first talking about vocal prayer. These are obviously excellent. It's how Christ taught the apostles to pray. But St. Francis talks about speaking from the heart in prayer. I don't know if you have some last words on, on that point. Um, I think in the last episode, you were talking about prayer being raw. Uh, so I'm sure you have more to, say, more to say on that. So yeah, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, I think that um, there's, a, there's a beauty and a simplicity in rote prayers. And uh, for instance, like when it comes to the act of contrition, I think it's great to memorize a good act of contrition because it has all the integral parts of what you want to profess in the presence of God who is merciful and just. Um, and so sometimes, you know, like I think in that context, maybe, uh, it's best to have something down pat, but often enough in the context of mental prayer or throughout the course of the day with these small aspirational prayers, we find ourselves, you know, composing 
poetic or purple prose, uh, which which I don't think is ultimately a good thing. You know, sometimes when I when I I have a couple of religious sisters to whom I write letters with some frequency, and I'll find myself writing those letters like I'm I'm worried that these are going to be subpoenaed for like a canonization process. Like I I need them to know how very holy I. Am. But that's just stupid, you know, because you don't end up sharing anything genuine. It's like if I were a saint, I would describe my life in these terms. But it's it's the fact is that I'm not right? Uh, but that I hope that by God's grace, I might be someday. And I think that our prayer should reflect that fact, which doesn't mean that we just are dissolved in tears for the entirety of our holy hours. Like, blah, blah, blah. You know, you got to you gotta put your life together a bit and give it to the Lord because you got to hold it in your hand in order to turn it over. But I think that, um, yeah, in those moments, simplicity is best, doesn't have to be very beautifully composed. It just has to be honest. My, my go-to aspirational prayer is just Jesus, love, right? So I profess him as my love and I ask him for the love that I need to navigate whatever task is set before me, which often enough is something silly, right? But I know that he cares about it because he cares about me. That's it. That's great. He cares about you all too. It's beautiful. It's true. I, one of the short prayers I like to use too is, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, or I love you, Lord, help me to love you better, or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, the, these little prayers of of just being with our Lord, of spiritual refreshment, of in, inviting him into the moments of our day, it changes our lives because it focuses us back on him. So um, there you have it. From us, from St. Francis de Sales, that's it for today. Be sure to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. To download the reading plan and support the production of this podcast, please visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics. Know of our prayers for you. As always, please pray for us, and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.